when it comes to purchasing a multifamily asset, what you into the business model that you execute, you want to increase your NOI. A multifamily asset's value is determined on the income it's producing. Okay, so a single family, if you were to go in there and do renovations, now you have to take that and say, okay, what comparables in the surrounding area can I compare my property to to get the value? On a multifamily, you actually don't compare comparables. They look at the income it produces divided by the cap rate and it gives you the value. This is why these are wealth building machines across the borders is because when you go and you purchase this large apartment community, your whole main objective is to find a value add component. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. What's the real power of leverage? People think real estate is all about leveraging capital. Money is important, but what about the decisions we make? The things we do and don't do determine our success as investors. Choices and actions create success. Before we get to the bank, we make choices guided by mindset and by the things we do and don't know. If we want to succeed as investors, we need to leverage knowledge. We need to increase what we know so our actions pay bigger dividends. Join host Terry Schauer and Jean-Philippe Claude for conversations with leading experts in the real estate field. From mortgages to mindset and from macroeconomics to local market trends, grow your knowledge capital with us. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast where we seek advice to help us make better investing decisions. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We are here today with Ava Benisaki. And uh, so Ava uh, started her real estate career as an agent for Remax, and then she moved to kind of get out of the agenting space and into passive investing. And she started CPI Capital with uh, a colleague of hers and now is helping Canadians invest in kind of a more passive way in real estate. And so she's going to tell us a little bit about her journey today. Ava, maybe you want to just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Of course. And thanks for having me here today, Terry. You're amazing. I know you were on my show not too long ago and I had the best conversation with you. So I was really excited. To, we're kind of switching roles now. So exactly. So yeah, thanks for having me. We had a great conversation. So I'm excited to have another one uh, today. But yeah, just a little bit about me. Um, as you were saying, I was in real estate for about a decade and now I manage a real estate investment firm. And it all kind of spawned from realizing a bunch of pain points that existed for Canadian investors. And I really wanted to come up with a solution to that problem. And that's as a real estate investor and an investor as well. So two years ago, I co-founded CPI Capital with the mission to help real estate investors and kind of bring new alternative investments to the table. And my company really just allows for investors to really focus on two of the main fundamental components of real estate investing. And that's getting things like cash flow and appreciation together when investing in real estate. So what we do is I actually partner with investors and we acquire U.S. multifamily assets and they benefit from things like passive income, you know, these monthly cash flow, above market returns that you'd find here in Canada and limited liability. And about me, I just, I'm really passionate about multifamily real estate. And I'm really passionate about educating people on how they can build wealth through real estate. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> well, this show is all about you. <laughs> so, so let's kind of back the truck up a little bit. So you're an agent at Remax. Were you working mostly on multifamily or were you doing single family homes? No, I was just doing residential, actually. I was solely focused on residential for about a decade. And then what happened to get you interested in multifamily investing in general? Two years ago, I was introduced to 
this incredible business model. And I fell in love with it. That's what happened. I have somebody that I was kind of watching across borders. They were in the US. Um, Dan Hanford, actually, he's my mentor. And uh, he was doing real estate syndication. This word syndication, real estate syndication. And I seen kind of what was going on. And it was this concept of pooling together investor capital and then purchasing these large multifamily apartment communities all together while investors were being 100% passive. And then somebody else, the general partner sponsor, was managing and executing this incredible business model. But what I was seeing was I was seeing the types of returns investors were achieving and being 100% passive. And what I like to call it is fractional real estate investing. So here I was being, you know, helping many, many investors over the years. There's a lot of difficulties that exist for real estate investors. You know, first of all, it's an active role that you have to play in most cases, right? You got to get the debt. You got to figure out, okay, do I want to do fix and flip? Do I want to do rentals? Do I want to manage rentals? Do I want to oversee a property manager? There's all these different things. It's kind of hard to scale as an active real estate investor, especially when you have a family, especially when you have your own career. There's not a lot of time. People don't really have the time, knowledge, or expertise. So I really fell in love because I'm like, wait a second, fractional real estate investing, people can still put their money into real estate. They can enjoy all the benefits that it has and they don't have to be hands-on. So this passive investor concept was really appealing to me. And I'm like, wait a second, I could help a lot of people with this because even if you want to continue being an active investor, obviously it's difficult to scale because it requires more time and so forth, but you can still diversify and branch off and be part of something big. And then another thing that really blew my mind, Terry, was passive investing, number one, that's great. Building wealth passively, this concept of investing in something, having your money work for you, being completely hands-off. But the other thing that blew my mind was that the returns investors were achieving across borders. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's where I really started diving into the U.S. and realizing the opportunity that existed right across the borders. And, you know, obviously I made it my mission to, to learn about the business of private equity, to learn about how I could bring these kind of investments to the Canadian fingertip. You know, that was kind of where things kind of started. I went on a whole educational journey, speaking to lawyers and cross-border tax accountants and all these different things that I uh, had to educate myself. There's different rules. You know, there's so much education that exists on the U.S. side, not so much here on the Canadian side. So that's where I kind of started this educational journey. And it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot of incredible things, but that's where I shifted my focus to real estate private equity when I really saw this incredible opportunity where I could really start helping the masses as instead of just one investor at a time, because I want to help people. That's what I'm here to do. That's what I love to do. And I'm like, I could really shift this and start helping the masses and educating people on these alternative investments that they didn't really, I didn't know about it. My business partner didn't know about it. Um, My family didn't know about it. And what I realized is that I think it's some silly number that 3% of people who are in investments know about the private space and these alternatives. So that's kind of a little background story of how I kind of pivoted my focus. I'm a little bit curious. And I think also, you know, in terms of our audience, so like we do educational stuff for people who want to get into the multifamily space themselves, okay, as like more active investors. And so what that means here in Quebec is that very often it's like quite local. And I know that even myself, as I think about how one is supposed to do things, you're supposed to not have everything in the same market. So if we flip this and say, okay, like, you know, you have experience in the rest of Canada, like what would be the difference in the business model between what's possible in the US and what kind of things should people consider if they 
want to consider diversifying into into the kind of thing that you do. And and kind of focusing on the US as well. Yeah. Why should I as a Canadian not buy the triplex down the road? Why should I invest in, you know, one of your American projects? And like I think you've made the case for the passive side, but like make the case for me now why in the States and why not locally? Okay, so the United States, I can go on and on about this, but what I really noticed was that here in Canada, and I'm talking about from like from the East Coast to the West Coast, okay, it's really difficult to find cash flow and appreciation together and these above market returns. So for an example, Vancouver, let's say Vancouver, I used to sell real estate in Alberta. Alberta, you can actually get a little bit of cash flow, but you're not going to be banking on that speculation of appreciation. On Vancouver, you're only speculating on appreciation and you're not, you're actually in negative cash flows. But the thing that I'm in love with in the US and why the business model for our group makes more sense, and a lot of people like to invest in their own backyard too, right? So I totally respect that. But they have higher rental yields in the US. There's higher rental yields. The cap rates aren't as compressed as well. So that's another thing that we like to focus on. It's a renter's nation in the US. First of all, the assets that we purchase are like this big resort. Okay, they're spread out. There's so much land in the US. It's completely spread spread out. And essentially, Americans love to rent. It's a renter's nation. They love to walk out of their front door, have the pool, have the gym, have the amenities. Everything's right there. It's business friendly in the US. It's landlord friendly in the US. There's no rent control in the regions that we buy in. So essentially, look at it this way. Our whole entire business model in multifamily, because multifamily, it's vastly different from a single family. So maybe I'll quickly just educate your audience on how things work and why this is why the US for multifamily. When it comes to purchasing a multifamily asset, what you into the business model that you execute, you want to increase your NOI. A multifamily asset's value is determined on the income it's producing. Okay, so a single family, if you were to go in there and do renovations, now you have to take that and say, okay, what comparables in the surrounding area can I compare my property to to get the value? On a multifamily, you actually don't compare comparables. They look at the income it produces divided by the cap rate and it gives you the value. This is why these are wealth building machines across the borders is because when you go and you purchase this large apartment community, your whole main objective is to find a value add component. You go in there, obviously, with your property management company. First, you decrease, you look where you can decrease expenses, but then the value add component is where things start to get really serious and exciting because what you can do is you start doing renovation from the day you take it over and about in a year and a half, let's say you can renovate around 150 units of the property. Well, there's no rent control in these states. So you can actually renew the leases where the renters are there and say, hey, for a renovated unit, uh, would you like to pay $150 more a month? On a 200 unit place, if you're renovating, what that does is it actually increases the NOI 200 times $150 a month per unit, which if you did the numbers, increases the value of the asset by millions. So just in the first year and a half of owning the asset, you've now created millions of dollars in this asset for yourself and your investors. Now, on top of it, you've purchased in a region that is showing consistent job growth, population growth, rent growth and income growth. Now people are flocking to these Sunbelt states and that's where we focus. Like people are flocking. Obviously there's an interstate migration happening from New York and California and everybody's going to these lower cost of living states. They want to be in the sun. They want to, you know, they don't want to be paying these crazy rents. And now what you're getting is you're getting the natural market appreciation as well. So with all these components, 
from buying in the right place to force appreciating the value of the asset in the first year and a half of owning it, and then to bank on natural market appreciation, it equals just wealth building machine for your investors. We've looked throughout Canada and we've actually spoke on a lot of platforms saying, hey, if you can find us a deal here in our own backyard, because we would love to work in our own backyard. But if you can find us a deal in our own backyard that gives our investors preferred returns and cash flow from day one, when I say day one, it's about 60 days after buying the asset, then show me the money and let's do a deal here in Canada. Well, you've got me sold. I actually want to find out how can I live in one of your units in the South. They're so awesome. There's a lot. You know, investors ask me that all the time and I'm like, no, I'm sorry. It's actually, we can't, we can't go vacation there, but... But so if you tell me maybe a little bit more while we're on the business model, right? So I think that answers pretty well, like why there might be a kind of like an arbitrage situation between what happens in our Canadian markets and, and what's available in the US. But if you can tell me a little bit maybe about the private equity side of it, because I know that let's say in Canada, you know, we have the, I don't know what it's called out West, but here it's like, it's the AMF, like people who supervise like investments and you're kind of like limited in terms of what kind of investors you can take on board. Then you have to become a licensed, you know, investor investment fund or something. So maybe you can just explain to me how the private equity backend works for someone who's doing what you do. Yes. So there's a lot of rules and regulations when it comes to raising private equity for your business ideas, right? It's called the Securities Commission and each and every province across Canada has its own Securities Commission. For an example, if I was raising capital from people in Ontario or Montreal or or Alberta, I would have to abide by the rules in that province for raising private equity. It's really nice, actually. It, It makes my life a lot more difficult, but it's great for people to be protected, right? The government's protecting people not to just give their money to anybody. And, you know, there's risk out there because you got to be very careful and and make sure who you're investing with is is a legit company. For the rules and regulations that we follow, and we're licensed across every province in Canada, except for Newfoundland and Manitoba. But if we had investors, a lot of investors, we could also get licensed in those provinces. What the Securities Commission says is, okay, if you want to raise uh, private money for your business idea, you have to follow our rules and regulations. And what they do is they create certain exemptions that we can use. Uh, so, and we have to follow those exemptions while raising capital and partnering with investors. You know, for our last two acquisitions, we raised the accredited investor exemption. So what that is, it's an individual who makes $200,000 a year or $300,000 with their spouse, or they have a million dollars in financial assets, that's cash stocks, bonds, you know, anything that's liquid, or they have $5 million net assets worth. Um, that's financials and real estate. So that's what they say. They say, okay, if you want to raise capital for your business idea, if you want to utilize the accredited investor exemption, then that's what you have to do. And each person has to go through a verification that they're accredited through an exempt market dealer. An exempt market dealer, an EMD is what we call it, is a licensed individual that is licensed under the Securities Commission, if you will. So that's what we've done. You know, there's great other exemptions like the offering memorandum exemption because a lot of non-accredited investors reach out to me and say, hey, well, I want to participate. You know, like these are great opportunities to passively invest. I want to participate. It's a little bit difficult for us because the timing is a little bit off when it comes to creating something called the offering memorandum exemption. That's like a 200 page document that our lawyers would have to create in order to allow non-accredited investors to participate. But because when we get an asset, we have about 
45 days, 30 to 45 days to do the capital raise. Just to create the offering memorandum exemption, it, it takes three weeks. So imagine how difficult it is for us to kind of, you know, get that going and allow non-accredited investors. But with that being said, it is still my goal and my mission to one day allow non-accredited investors to be able to participate in these kind of offerings because I, I want to give everybody obviously the opportunity to be able to invest in these kind of deals that are, you know, give the above market returns. Okay. All right. So I, I feel like I understand a little bit better. So at this point, the opportunity is kind of open to accredited investors and then whoever would, I guess, match as, you know, personal acquaintances or whatever the Securities Commission in uh, Out West allows, eh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Thanks for uh, demystifying that because like I've always had this question in my mind, like, you know, these uh, sort of private equity things versus funds, like how exactly, what are the particulars of that? And we're a syndicate, right? So we're project specific. So we're not a fund where it's, you can constantly be raising capital. It's like, we got to form an entity for each particular asset that we buy. And then, like I said, it's like that 30 to 45 days where an investor can come in and review the legal documents, be accredited, go through the process, understand the risks involved, right? Um, there's a lot of protection for an investor. So it's a, it's a great thing. If a company's not doing this stuff, maybe you might want to think twice about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I find that really amazing that uh, you guys were able to set that up. And so if we could like, just to change the conversation a little bit to more uh, like focus on like your specific story. So I read your chapter in Ordinary to Extraordinary, the book that was co-authored by Lisa Rogers. And so I wonder if you could just kind of like walk us through, you know, it sounds to me like you grew up kind of, you know, in a small town somewhere and then made it to the big city and like kind of turned things around. So could you want to tell us like just maybe the like more personal version of that story? Sure. Thanks for reading my chapter. I appreciate it. And anybody who's listening, I would love to send you a free copy of the book. So please reach out to me because the more people that read it, the more inspired. So I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Yeah, let's get vulnerable here. I uh, I grew up in a I grew up in a really small city in Alberta. As you read in my book, I was doing really really well. You know, I had kind of everything that I wanted. I was able to travel when I wanted. I was able, you know, I had a home. I had everything that I needed. My family actually lives there still to this day. And a lot of people who live there they never leave. They build their lives there, and it's beautiful. Um, but I always felt like there was like this missing component within me. So I was waking up in the mornings and I just wasn't really feeling like I was living my full purpose. I always had a dream to move to a big city and sell real estate. Because like where I'm from, everything's kind of the same. I knew everybody. Everybody knew, liked, and trusted me there. I had it all set up. But I'm like, I want to go to the big city. I think I like love putting myself in situations where it's really challenging. I don't know why. I love like getting, you know, trying to be innovative and find different ways. I just love challenges. So I, I sat down with my mom and my dad and I said, guys, I'm going to move to Vancouver. And they're like, probably not a good idea. <laughs> why are you doing that? And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. They're like, well, you don't know anybody else there like what are you doing you have everything here like, come on you've built your life here you know and I'm like I'm gonna go for it like whatever is meant to happen I'm gonna go and give it my all and I remember I put my house on the market and it sold within a week and, and kind of one of the downturn actually so I was like well it's meant to be this is so perfect and then I packed as much clothes as I could in the back of my car and I came out to the big city and I, I say it in my story and I'm gonna say it again but the feeling I had it was dark out when I just when I arrived to Vancouver it was like a 13 hour drive and there's all these lights, you know, because where I'm from, it's not this big city, okay? It's just like duplexes and stuff like that. So I'll, I'll never forget, I was driving in and there was all like the big, you know, apartment buildings and all these lights. And I'm like, the opportunity, like right in front of my eyes. I'm just, I felt like I'm going to take over the city. This is so incredible. Um, it still makes me get goosebumps thinking about it. 
and then I got settled and I, I, you know, I'm like, okay, here we go. Let's, let's do this. It was such a eye opener, such a, not a good awakening for the next two years of my life. It was one of the most difficult times of my life. Nothing was working out for me. It was just one of those things where, you know, all the tactics I was using back home, I was trying to use here, didn't work. I was like, now this very small fish, nobody knew me, nobody liked me, nobody trusted me, right? Just, I had to start from zero. I needed to try to get my my name out there. I think I, yeah, I was writing about it in my book, but I, I felt like I was this hamster on a wheel. You know, I'd be helping other realtors that had the name that wasn't really getting me anywhere. They were using me as their errand girl. I just was just, just continuously and just things kept happening and happening. And a lot of phone calls back home to mom and dad, they're like, come back home. And I'm crying like, on a regular basis. I'm not coming back home. You know, I'm not coming back home. I'm here. I came here. It's been, you know, two years of my life and a grind. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to make it. And you know, the world really works in mysterious ways. And I started really surrounding myself with incredible people and learning from them. And that's when I met my business partner. You know, I came across this business model across the U.S. I had this new vision. We started talking about things and that's kind of where everything spawned was by joining forces and coming together. And then my company started happening. So about a year after, I slowly got out of the real estate game. When I knew, okay, I can make something out of CPI. I can do something with this. That's when I pivoted out of it. And I said, okay, I'm going to fully focus on building my company from the ground up. And then I found, I'm like, mom and dad, this is why I didn't come home. This is why resilience is key sometimes, even when you're in the grinder and you just, life literally feels like it's ending right in front of your eyes and you feel so stuck that you just don't even know what the next step to take is. I think that's the moment that you just got to go grind even harder. So that's what I did. That's what I did. And then everything kind of ended up working out. (laughs) It's a great story. I wonder if you have anything to say about being a woman, perhaps as a real estate agent, there's, there's a lot more women out there, but definitely in the private equity space, there's not too many women, I think, in that domain. So I don't know, do you have any sort of comment about that or any maybe advice for women who were trying to do something in more male dominated environments? Yeah, no, for sure. And by the way, women are disproportionately involved in the public and private marketing, obviously in the world that I am. So it's really rare to see women in these leadership roles. And I I really noticed that. And I think it's something like 3% of women are involved in real estate investments. So it's a very, very rare number. It's a low number. What I realized is I really had to stand kind of tall and strong when I got into this space because every time I'd show up to a Zoom meeting with acquisition directors or asset managers or all these people on the Zoom call, it was all men. (laughs) It was all just men lined up. So I kind of walked in there with my confidence. I educated myself. I knew what I was talking about. It was a challenge, but it really made me kind of get more wind underneath my wings. And then when I started CPI Capital, I wanted to make it a gender balanced company right? Because women, not only do we think differently than men, right? But we need to really stand tall and make our mark in this space. And I'm noticing that it's slowly women are getting more confident to kind of be in these leadership roles. And you just really got to find what your strength is and just power and dominate your strength when you're doing anything, especially in this space. And always be okay to delegate the things you're not so good at. You know, be, it's okay. Just delegate the things that you're not so good at and you'll really thrive. Um, don't try to know it all. Just try to be yourself and be smart and educate yourself and do good at what you're doing. Um, I always have a funny joke too. Like I was speaking on this platform and it, it was all private equity companies and it was all a bunch of men. 
So we, we were all laughing. They were laughing. They're like, it's really weird seeing a younger woman on this platform because it's usually a bunch of white, old, chubby men that are speaking. So that's, uh, yeah, but for any women that are out there, just educate yourself, be confident and stand tall. So Ava, that begs the question, what is your superpower? My superpower? Oh my gosh, my superpower is relationships, building strong relationships. I'm the person that in this company, I'm kind of the face of the company, but I'm also the person that's hands on with each and every investor that invests with us. So my superpower is just going out there and creating strong, loving relationships with people and understanding them and letting them know that I'm here to help them when they have questions and everything like that. That's probably my superpower. And what was the first thing you delegated? Well, it's you're like the opposite of your superpower. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. The opposite of my superpower. Okay, so I am not good at marketing. I am not good at marketing. And when it comes to building a company from the ground up, you got to be really strong marketers. <laughs> so that is where my business partner, August Benias, he takes care of all. And he's like, his superpower is marketing. And mine is not. So I'm like, you take care of all that. I have no idea. He's like, okay, we're going to get in the news over here. We're going to go speak over there. We're going to do this, do that. I'm like, not for me. So that was the first thing I probably delegated. <laughs> As we were talking about earlier, right? I'm like, technology is just not for me and marketing and all this stuff. Okay. Well, Ava, that's pretty much the end of my questions for today. Was there anything that you wanted to add? Anything that I forgot to highlight? Just other than ladies, if you're listening, I would love to send you a copy of the Kindle version of my book. So just make sure you get in touch with me. And I just want to inspire woman and and just get them to understand that right now in this moment is the moment that you need to start looking to invest. You know, you need to start being in control of your financial future and really start, you know, taking the lead, not only for yourself, but for your families. Women are taking more of a role when it comes to being part of investing and especially in purchasing houses. I think it's only 20% of women that own real estate. Take the lead, take control. And I hope that you, once you read the book, that you're inspired because if I can do it, you can too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, it's a great place to leave it. Where can our audience connect with you if they want to learn more? My email is Ava at cpicapital.ca or I'm very active on LinkedIn and that's just Ava Benasaki. Please reach out anytime. I'm super easy to get a hold of and I would love to have a conversation. Thank you, Ava, for spending this time with us and uh, we'll let our audience connect with you as you mentioned. Terry, you're amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.